นโมทัสสะภะวะทุอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะทุอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะทุอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามะส
shaving our heads, giving up our name, putting on the ochre robe, symbolizes this commitment. And those of you who are familiar with the, the traditional story of how the Buddha was inspired to take up the spiritual life, we remember how he, he came across an old person, a sick person, a dead person, got disillusioned with conventional life and, and then saw a mendicant monk, a, a wanderer whose commitment was to discovering truth. And so this order that the Buddha eventually set up is based on that example and that which inspired the Buddha to commit himself to the pursuit of realization, freedom, discovery of that which matters more than anything else uh, symbolized in the form of the monk or nun now that doesn't mean to say that everybody has to become a monk or a nun but it symbolizes the ideal the ideal of letting go of my way and realizing the possibility of according with that way with the Dhamma, with reality with actuality. The Buddha realized this and so he held it up as a possibility. He taught about it and encouraged us. And so this particular Dhammapada verse you know, talking about uh, how it's possible to transform old and heedless ways and develop wholesome acts and there's real benefit from it, can serve as an inspiration. That's its purpose. These, these ideals that are held up, these symbols, these traditions, that's their function, is to inspire and to encourage us. And now how we relate to these ideals is particularly important because even though we could have very wholesome ideals and aspirations if we're not relating to them skillfully then we can create more obstructions so the teachings don't just hold up and talk about the ideals the goal but also how to develop our faculties in a way whereby our relationship with the ideals, our relationship with the idea of the goal serves the deepest purpose. If our relationship is one of clinging, for instance, then even though our aspiration might be wholesome and our effort might be impressive, we can spoil it. In the early days of living at Chithurst together with Lumpur Sumato, I I remember how he would sometimes speak about how ideals are like stars that if you're sailing across the ocean to get your bearings to make sure you're going in the right direction, you look at the stars. But, of course, we wouldn't expect to reach the stars. That's not the point of looking at the stars. The point of looking at the stars is to get our direction so we can end up at the destination that we are interested in. So 
clinging to the ideals actually sends us in the wrong direction. Mm. Sailing across the Atlantic from Boston, mm. aiming to get to Portsmouth, and you end up in, in La Gomera in the Canary Islands. Mm. Mm. That's not Portsmouth. They might have nice weather, but that wasn't the destination. So we do need to be careful how we relate to ideals. Becoming overly idealistic can produce disappointment. Like these Buddhist teachings, you see the example of a teacher who inspires us, encourages us, and read the scriptures, and you can conjure up an ideal of what it means to be a decent human being and whether you're living a life as a Buddhist monk, a Buddhist nun or a, or a, a lay person, a householder a layman or a laywoman we can have an ideal of what uh, we think accords with the Buddha's teachings and that ideal is helpful such ideas can be really helpful they can serve to inspire to encourage to steady us to sustain us when the going gets tough but if we relate to it in an unskillful way, if we cling to it, then, as I say, we can create more obstructions. So clinging to ideals doesn't bring light into the world. Becoming overly idealistic actually can make us turn us into somebody who's very contentious, or somebody who's very depressed, you know, always judging ourselves and judging each other. I'm not as good a monk as I should be. I read in the scriptures where monks do this and they don't do that. And look at how I am after these years of practice and I, I'm nowhere near the ideal and that's where our relationship with the ideal is at fault. The ideal is not at fault, but our relationship with the ideal is undeveloped, uncultivated. So there's a right way of holding ideals, as there is, of course, with everything like if you're working in the workshop and you're, you're working on the lathe and you're holding a chisel, there's a right way to hold the chisel. If you hold it too lightly, you can fly out of your hand and cause serious trouble. Hold it too tightly, then you're not going to have the agility to adjust, to work the wood that you're working on. Or I remember what it was like driving a vehicle. Well, it's many years since I've driven a vehicle, but I, I'm aware that there's a right way to hold the steering wheel. If you hold it too lightly, like one little finger, well, that's, that's very risky and, and bound to be illegal and inappropriate. Not enough control. Hold it too tightly, well, you can become rigid and, and get a headache and, and get uptight and... So there's a just right way of holding. How do you do that? Well, you've got to be in your body. You can't just be in your head and thinking about how do I hold these views that the Buddha taught? How do I hold the ideals that Buddhism presents us? How do I hold my attention? Like everybody here be meditating and we're used to having a meditation object and a discipline of attention. How do we discipline attention it's another way of saying how do we hold our attention how do we pay attention too little effort and 
the forces of heedlessness just distract us and the mind wanders and, and there isn't any deepening or holding our attention too tightly and we end up again getting a headache and It's understandable that we have these habits of clinging. Certainly, uh, when we're children, we feel very vulnerable. Learning to walk, we feel unstable, so we really want to hold on to mummy or daddy or older brother or older sister so as we can feel strong and stable and steady. We equate holding on with benefiting ourselves. And, And then as we grow we develop the idea of ownership and then the fear of loss and loss of our toys loss of our friends uh, loss of our parents children you can't stand to be separated from your parents and so we cling to our parents we cling to our possessions and then we get a little bit older the next thing you know we're clinging to our memories we're clinging to our opinions and if we don't have uh, a wise mentor or a spiritual teacher to encourage us and, and maybe that habit of clinging never gets corrected we don't realise that there is another option of finding security the option that's given us in this Buddha's teaching uh, going for refuge to the Buddha means going for refuge to the knowing going for refuge to awareness itself selfless just knowing awareness it's not the things all the things are unstable all the activity is uncertain but the knowing if we can learn to let go of the activity let go of the things let go of the memories let go of the perceptions that doesn't mean to say they disappear but it means our relationship to the activity changes perhaps little by little we start to get a feeling for this just knowing awareness and looking for security in that it's not going to necessarily come straight away but then neither does any other worthwhile skill come straight away but it is something worth paying attention to worth worth cultivating so if we do have even a modicum of appreciation of the benefit of developed awareness then we're in a useful relationship with these habits of heedlessness we're no longer fully identified with the conditioned tendencies of mind we're no longer fully caught up in habits of clinging we can actually learn from our habits of clinging we can learn how to let go So talking about clinging and the invitation in this teaching to contemplate clinging is not merely to manipulate concepts about clinging and to come up with clever ideas about how clinging is wrong and clinging is an obstacle. Our contemplation might start out with using concepts about clinging. But what's called for is progressing into an embodied awareness that starts to starts to recognize that we can investigate in a feeling way 
like if you're in a meeting and then the boss or the teacher uh, is naming some of the colleagues or uh, like in the monastery if the Ajahn is talking about this monk and that monk and Ajahn Sumato this and Ajahn Ananda that and, and then Ajahn into this. Oh, Ajahn into that's me. Now, what is that? Is that reaction? That's me. Is that reaction just an idea? No, it's much more than just an idea. It's a, it's a whole body-mind experience. That meanness just got constellated. Are we there for that? Can we investigate that? Do we have the frame of reference from which we're able to examine the arising and sustaining and eventual fading out of that perception of meanness? Me and my way, this is... This is a massive obstruction to the possibility of contentment. Being caught up in me and my way is a life of suffering. So thankfully the Buddha points this out and says this is a a fallacy. This apparent reality of me is an hallucination. Mm-hmm. But like the concept of clinging, you know, to talk about uh, me as an hallucination mm-hmm. is much more than just a concept. We need to be able to cultivate awareness to the point whereby we're present at the moment where any particular manifestation of me is recognised. Examine it. Mm-hmm. Not judging it. I mean, if we cling to the ideal of selflessness and then the perception of self arises, why oh, shouldn't be having one of those? That's a failure. I'm a failed Buddhist. I've got a self. Mm-hmm. That's quite possible. It's very possible to do that. Holding to the ideal of selflessness in an unskillful way holding too tightly, idealizing the practice, rather than using the ideal of selflessness to motivate us to look into, to get interested in this perception of me and my way. So the encouragement we have is is to examine our relationship to ideals. All religions, all traditions offer us ideals. In this case, we're all interested in the Buddha's teachings and and part of this tradition. And it's part of our practice to get interested and be very careful in how we relate to ideals, being overly idealistic, going back to that image of looking at the stars. Overly idealistic, we're always gazing at the stars, always gazing at how things should be, could be, might be, ought to be. You're sailing on a boat and you're always looking at the stars, you can trip over and have a serious accident. Mm. Or if you're too casual and say, oh, who needs ideals, just whatever, let's just go with the flow and 
know, and just go with what's happening. And don't don't need goals, don't need ideals, and, and you can easily end up in a completely different direction from where we wanted to go. So coming to a direct appreciation of how important it is to identify me and my way and not overly idealize about how we should be selfless but studying the relationship we have. What happens when I don't get what I want? What happens? What is the experience? Personally, I, I consider myself a fairly practical fellow. I, I was brought up with a very practical father. He, he built part of our house, I remember, when I was a child. and I remember him building this part of the house, an extension on our house. And, and he had a very substantial garden and a very substantial workshop. And he used to spend a lot of the year growing vegetables and fruit. And, and then my mother would sew our clothes and, and she would you know, spend the summer bottling pears and apples and peaches and, and beans and and making homemade ice cream for us and and that was the environment I grew up in and the idea of paying somebody to come round and and fix something in the house was almost never heard of. We, we, my father did most of it and, and so I have a fairly practical bent. I like to think of myself as being down to earth which has its advantages in some situations but I do find it rather difficult when I'm dealing with very uh, idealistic people, dreamy people who are always coming up with new, creative, beautiful ideas about how things could be. And, of course, if they're not overly committed to their capacity for fantasizing and dreaming up alternative ways of doing things, that's all right. And if I'm not overly committed to my being practical and down to earth that's alright, we'll get on fine together but sometimes I do find it rather difficult to be with such characters and the reason for that is that one of us or sometimes both of us are committed to our own way of doing things I do, I find it sometimes very frustrating well it might be very nice to be able to do that, it could be wonderful to do that, I'd love to be able to do that but we can't do it, it's just it's not going to happen, there aren't Conditions you know, to bring that about. So why keep dwelling on it and feeling frustrated and getting a little hot under the collar? And that is what that getting hot under the collar. That that is me and my way. Clinging to me and my way is much more than just an idea. It's much more than just a notion. Mm-hmm. The expectation that somehow everybody should be like me. Mm. which when you stop and think about it of course is ridiculous but therein lies the cause of so much of the suffering in the world attaching to my way of doing things my opinions, my views, my preferences so we do need to be careful that we don't bring that into the spiritual life and cling to ideals about how we think we should be including the idea of you know, I should be able to let go of me in my way that's a suggestion. That's something when we internalize that, 
You can help give us a direction, give us an orientation. You can, we can invest energy in contemplating. And particularly, in, I've seen it over the years in Buddhist monasteries, uh, people are so enthusiastic and honourable and sincere and, and committed and obviously want to get it right but if there's not enough agility of attention then it's easy to make the mistake and cling to the ideas of how we should be the ideas of how a community should be the ideas of how a teacher should be yeah. I remember hearing about one of the monks went to see Ajahn Chah and or I read about it, I forget where I came across it, but some young Western monk went to see Ajahn Chah and told him straight, I've been watching how you conduct yourself, I'm convinced you're not enlightened. And Ajahn Chah said, very good. If you're looking outside for an enlightened being, you're going to be very disappointed. The momentum of seeking outwardly, always looking outwards, for that which is going to make us whole, that which is going to free us from suffering, is a mistaken perception. That's, that's delusion. Yes, we have the ability to project outwards, to look outwards, but the Buddha also wanted us to look inwards, look directly, train our faculties to be able to look directly at the actual causes of suffering. The ideals we have about how a monastery should be or how a teacher should be or how our friends should be or how the political party should be, the ideals are just that. They're images, they're approximations, they're suggestions. But if we cling to them, even though they might be amazing, really good, really inspiring, really energizing and impressive ideas and ideals, they don't serve our deepest interests, our truest interests. Mm. The solution is not to just come up with another ideal about how I shouldn't be clinging to ideals, but rather to get interested in the way we are relating to ideals, get interested in the way we are relating already to this momentum, this movement, this experience of me and my way. When I don't get what I want, how does that feel? Getting interested in that. And when we see that there's something that we are actively promoting, this clinging, that we're responsible for that, when we see that, when we really see that in the body and in the mind, that's when letting go might possibly happen. But as long as we're just theorizing about it, well then it's probably not going to happen. So if we invest in whole body-mind, here and now, judgment-free awareness... Maybe one day we'll be there in the moment when one of these experiences occur. I is about to be born, but we catch it sooner. And letting go happens. And maybe in the process, who knows, maybe we can bring a little light into the world and with that generate benefit, not just for ourselves, but for all beings. And thank you very much this evening for your attention. Bhayanga Magataya Sadhukaranda Dhamma Seya Sadhu